Chapter Seventeen of Quicksand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Quicksand by Nella Larson. Chapter Seventeen. A summer had ripened and fall begun. Anne and Dr. Anderson had returned from their short Canadian wedding journey. Helga Crane, still lingering in America, had tactfully removed herself from the house in One Hundred and Thirty Ninth Street to a hotel. It was, as she could point out to curious acquaintances, much better for the newly married Andersons not to be bothered with a guest, not even with such a close friend as she, Helga, had been to Anne. Actually, though, she herself had truly wanted to get out of the house when they came back, she had been a little surprised and a great deal hurt that Anne had consented so readily to her going. She might at least, thought Helga indignantly, have acted a little bit as if she had wanted her to stay, after writing for her to come, too. Pleasantly unaware was Helga that Anne, more silently wise than herself, more determined, more selfish, and less inclined to leave anything to chance, understood perfectly that in a large measure it was the voice of Robert Anderson's inexorable conscience that had been the chief factor in bringing about her second marriage, his ascetic protest against the sensuous, the physical. Anne had perceived that the decorous surface of her new husband's mind regarded Helga Crane with that intellectual and aesthetic appreciation which attractive and intelligent women would always draw from him, but that underneath that well-managed section, in a more lawless place where she herself never hoped or desired to enter, was another, a vagrant, primitive groping toward something shocking and frightening to the cold asceticism of his reason. Anne knew also that though she herself was lovely, more beautiful than Helga, and interesting, with her he had not to struggle against that nameless and to him shameful impulse, that sheer delight which ran through his nerves at mere proximity to Helga. And Anne intended that her marriage should be a success, she intended that her husband should be happy. She was sure that it could be managed by tact and a little cleverness on her own part. She was truly fond of Helga. But seeing how she had grown more charming, more aware of her power, Anne wasn't so sure that her sincere and urgent request to come over for her wedding hadn't been a mistake. She was, however, certain of herself. She could look out for her husband. She could carry out what she considered her obligation to him, keep him undisturbed, unhumiliated. It was impossible that she could fail. Unthinkable. Helga, on her part, had been glad to get back to New York. How glad or why she did not truly realize, and though she sincerely meant to keep her promise to Aunt Katrina and Uncle Poole and return to Copenhagen, summer, September, October slid by, and she made no move to go. Her uttermost intention had been a six or eight weeks' visit, but the feverish rush of New York, the comic tragedy of Harlem, still held her. As time went on, she became a little bored, a little restless, but she stayed on. Something of that wild surge of gladness that had swept her on the day when, with Anne and Anderson, she had again found herself surrounded by hundreds, thousands of dark-eyed brown folk remained with her. These were her people. Nothing, she had come to understand now, could ever change that. Strange that she had never truly valued this kinship until distance had shown her its worth. How absurd she had been to think that another country, other people, could liberate her from the ties which bound her forever to these mysterious, these terrible, these fascinating, these lovable dark hordes. Ties that were of the spirit. Ties not only superficially entangled with mere outline of features or color of skin. 
deeper, much deeper than either of these. Thankful for the appeasement of that loneliness which had again tormented her like a fury, she gave herself up to the miraculous joyousness of Harlem. The easement which its heedless abandon brought to her was a real, a very definite thing. She liked the sharp contrast to her pretentious stately life in Copenhagen. It was as if she had passed from the heavy solemnity of a church service to a gorgeous, carefree revel. Not that she intended to remain. No. Helga Crane couldn't, she told herself and others, live in America. In spite of its glamour, existence in America, even in Harlem, was for Negroes too cramped, too uncertain, too cruel, something not to be endured for a lifetime if one could escape, something demanding a courage greater than was in her. No, she couldn't stay. Nor, she saw now, could she remain away. Leaving, she would have to come back. This knowledge, this certainty of the division of her life into two parts and two lands, into physical freedom in Europe and spiritual freedom in America, was unfortunate, inconvenient, expensive. It was, too, as she was uncomfortably aware, even a trifle ridiculous, and mentally she caricatured herself moving shuttle-like from continent to continent, from the prejudiced restrictions of the new world to the easy formality of the old, from the pale calm of Copenhagen to the colourful lure of Harlem. Nevertheless, she felt a slightly pitying superiority over those negroes who were apparently so satisfied, and she had a fine contempt for the blatantly patriotic black Americans. Always when she encountered one of those picturesque parades in the Harlem streets, the stars and stripes streaming ironically, insolently at the head of the procession, tempered for her, a little, her amusement at the childish seriousness of the spectacle. It was too pathetic. But when mental doors were deliberately shut on those skeletons that stalked lively and in full health through the consciousness of every person of negro ancestry in America, conspicuous black, obvious brown, or indistinguishable white, life was intensely amusing, interesting, absorbing, and enjoyable, singularly lacking in that tone of anxiety which the insecurities of existence seemed to ferment in other people's. Yet Helga herself had an acute feeling of insecurity, for which she could not account. Sometimes it amounted to fright almost. I must, she would say then, get back to Copenhagen. But the resolution gave her not much pleasure. And for this she now blamed Axel Olsen. It was, she insisted, he who had driven her back, made her unhappy in Denmark. Though she knew well that it wasn't. Misgivings, too, rose in her. Why hadn't she married him? Anne was married. She would not say Anderson. Why not she? It would serve Anne right if she married a white man. But she knew in her soul that she wouldn't. Because I'm a fool, she said bitterly. End of chapter 17